Hey, fuckers. How have you been doing? I hope that everybody has been diving into spooky season early and enthusiastically this year. Because you deserve it. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is the time of year when the world finally feels aligned with my insides. All dark and dank and morbid and weird and creepy, maybe a little too close to the veil for most people's comfort. So yeah, it's time to put on ghost adventures and cackle at douchebaggins taunting spirits. Let's go, right? Anyways, in other news, a few very exciting things to tell ya, especially if you've ever had issues navigating the vast catalog of podcast episodes that I've put out before. Well, this month we've opened a can of worms. We've been talking about nonviolent communication over in the private stream, and it's become a full series of shows, whiteboard videos, workbooks, bonus episodes, as typically happens when this brain is operating correctly. But the cool new thing is you'll find all of that information displayed now as a whole grouped together collection of posts on Patreon. It's a new feature that they've released and it's very exciting for this community. So you can now browse the hundreds of past episodes, videos, and transcripts by topic on PC or mobile using the Patreon app. And with like three years of data piled up, it's got me pretty stoked. Finally, some organization for the patrons. Um, that said, I do have about a year of old episodes to upload to Patreon in order for it to be complete for every show to be available through collection browsing. So bear with as I get that accomplished and create an avalanche of outdated posts in the coming weeks. But after that, it will be a brighter, easier, traumatized motherfucker experience when the effort is over. And so far, everything from 2021 through today is in those collections for your browsing pleasure. That said, you can also find a men's organization at t-mfrs.com, where every single episode and resource I have ever created is already available and grouped together for you. Um, gotta plug all the effort that has gone into building that library of a site this year. Everything I've ever made is compiled there. t-mfrs.com. Calm. Okay, enough announcements. Thank you for uh, allowing me to ramble. Back to this can of fish bait that we have cracked. It is called Nonviolent Communication, which I prefer to call simply Effective Communication. Because, yes, the point of the NVC, Nonviolent Communication, framework is to not engage in controlling, abusive, manipulative, projection-lated, coercive, punishing, or victimizing communication with others anymore. Therefore, not being violent, creating conflict, or transmitting trauma onto our relational partners. 
as our families hath already done to us for decades, hence why it comes so naturally to us. But also, nonviolent communication is really a four-step process that makes it possible for us to communicate with anyone in any situation. Romantic relationships, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, shitty parents at your kid's school, managers and employees at your grocery store. Uh, this process helps us to speak clearly and efficiently to anyone, anywhere, rather than winding up in defensive, offensive gridlocks where no one can hear anyone for what they're truly trying to communicate. Hell, where no one is sure what they are really trying to communicate because it isn't even clear unto them themselves. So to avoid all of that, we can use the four stages of nonviolent communication to number one, clarify what's happening with us. Number two, figure out what we really need. And number three, verbalize those discoveries to our connective associate with a non-aggressive request that builds trust and goodwill so that number four, we actually find fulfillment and no longer have to suffer with unknown, unmet needs. And at the same time, the nonviolent communication process is a beautiful framework for rewiring the bad habits of your entire trauma brain. So you yourself reap enormous benefits from running through this process even if you don't have a relationship partner or a big, heavy conversation in sight right now. Nonviolent communication will challenge what you were programmed to believe about your needs, your emotions, your personal power, and the degree of control that you have in your life. It is the antidote to getting stuck in long spells of just feeling like something is wrong without knowing how to help yourself, or getting stuck in a situation where your needs are perpetually unfulfilled, creating a defeating sense of already being half dead anyways. Yeah, uh, familiar book titles from your library? Mm-hmm, I know them well. Uh, all of this is to say, yeah, we're hitting nonviolent communication very hard these days, exploring the ways that it's a huge asset to our relationship world, firstly, and we're diving into the ways that it fixes our heads personally, even if we don't have a social bone in our bodies right now. So today, let's do a similar thing here. First, we're going to talk about the four steps of nonviolent communication in relationship communications, how we actually utilize it to improve our discussions with others by reducing the likelihood of conflict and increasing our ability to hear one another without offense. Then we'll talk about what beliefs this process is challenging, the perspectives that many of us need to reset from our early learnings in a traumatized culture. And we'll also discuss how nonviolent communication is an outline for rewiring your own damn brain via critical thinking, accountability, emotional intelligence, and neuro-linguistic programming. So, big 
big conversations this month. We got two episodes in a relatively long form for this platform coming at ya. And I just gotta tell ya, it's a much bigger conversation over on the Patreon. Nonviolent communication has blown my brain wide open and I have just been generating a billion resources on the implications of this topic to the point that my brain can hardly keep up. So, I don't know. I do sincerely, sincerely urge you to check out the Nonviolent Communication Collection in depth or go learn it with somebody else if it interests you. All right. Now, learning together here today, let's finally get started and let's cover the basics. The four steps of nonviolent, aka effective, communication. Step one. A thing happens, you perceive it, and then you separate your evaluations from your observations. Okay, this sounds simple, but all of these steps do, and they are not. This one in particular because our brains automatically, immediately start analyzing and assessing what they observe in every situation so rapidly that we don't get space between our sensory events and our thoughts about those sensory events, which means our thoughts are never really neutral or entirely accurate. Hell, they're rarely even novel. Actually, they're marred by all our previous thoughts from previous evaluations about previous situations, which pop right up, filling our heads with information that we assume is accurate, which then forms the basis to everything else we're about to think, feel, and do. And as we all know, negativity bias is a pretty big problem in this community. When your life has been pervasively traumatic, yeah, your brain doesn't have positive evaluations or expectations for anything. So your observations are often shaken and stirred with experientially based trauma learnings to the degree that you don't know what is what. Am I right? Yeah. So in our relationships, this means that we're very often assessing our partners, ourselves, and our environments instantaneously as if they are from our past, or as if we are both still engaged in circumstances from our past, as if we're facing the threat of similar consequences from our past. And therefore, we're assessing everything that we observe rapidly, automatically, and shittily. Well, Nonviolent communication says, hey, don't do that. Keep your assessments out of your factual note taking. But wisely, nonviolent communication realizes that we can't just not evaluate things, period. That is part of our brain's duties to keep us alive. Instead, it asks that we just keep our observations and evaluations separate in two different locations in the head. So to do this, we have to have kind of two narratives, right? We have to slow down everything. 
We're observing things all day and we need to be present while we do it so that the script that runs through our head doesn't go unexamined. Instead, we take a look at it and we tease it apart into what actually definitely happened and then the remainder of our cognitive behaviors in relation to what actually definitely happened. So whenever you feel stressed, sad, overwhelmed, or otherwise negative, stop what you are doing. Take lots of breaks. Give yourself breathers and use them to delineate what you're perceiving externally from what you're secondarily perceiving internally. If you were a scientist writing down only the bare facts about physical reality, what are your observations? Then you might want to take a look at your immediate analyses for clues about what contents of your brain still need to be worked with. Because however you are reacting so strongly and rapidly, whatever you are evaluating negatively, is probably really important information about what wounds you still need to heal, what memories are still too alive inside of your body, and being mistakenly considered relevant in the current moment. So note those evaluations, but do not get them mixed in with your observations of physical facts. That is step one of nonviolent effective communication. And at the same time, you're also going to want to hold on to your emotions in a separate compartment where you know that they exist, but you probably aren't fully immersing yourself in them because they are going to be worked with in our next step. Step two, naming your feelings specifically and owning them as yours, motherfucker. All right, again, sounds simple enough, but this step might be the most complicated of all of them as far as the challenges that we face with being embodied, how cognitive psychology plays into things, and the many, many neuro-linguistic details that go into this. Uh, we do not have time for all of that today, really just a tiny portion of it, but we're gonna do our best to cover what we can from this step. So step two asks us to identify what's really happening inside of our protein husks precisely and to verbalize those events in a way that doesn't blame them on others, which we can just say point blank, won't get you anywhere. If we're aiming for effective communication, let me tell ya, Informing someone that they did anything, especially made you feel a way, is a surefire way to fuck the pig immediately. But uh, we'll get to that in more depth in a second here. Uh, first, nonviolent communication says that we dumbass humans need to even learn to be specific and precise in the emotions that we name. So... It doesn't help us to say to anyone, I feel bad, <laughs> which does not tell our relational partner or even ourself jack shit about the problem or how to fix it. We can feel bad in a lot of ways. We need to tell them and ourselves which way we feel like trash. 
So we need to search our noggins for more specific emotions that actually align with what we're going through, such as I feel disappointed, frustrated, defeated, right? Be particular about what you are feeling, which requires you to investigate and identify what you're feeling. Got it? Okay. Secondly, as we mentioned, nonviolent communication says we do not put responsibility for the emotion on anyone but ourselves, Because it sincerely will not help to say that someone caused you to have a certain feeling and also because that's not correct. Your emotions come from inside of you. Other people in situations can only ever be the stimulus that lights them up, but they are still created by you. So in practice, that means we don't say things like, I feel disappointed because you, or you disappoint me when, or you make me feel disappointed because. All right. Um, I know that half of you are already up in arms right now, digging in your heels that people make you feel things all the time. And all I can say to that is trauma problems. You're going to hate this next point even more. Thirdly, and this is where things get extremely controversial. We need to be careful about fake emotional words that are actually projections about what we think another person is doing to us. Now there's a huge list of these projection feelings that we need to watch out for, but some of them that may seem familiar to you include, I feel rejected, unwanted, ignored, neglected, unheard, unseen, hated, etc. Yeah, they're words that the CPTSD crew loves and knows very well, because in our family systems, we were often rejected, unwanted, ignored, neglected, unheard, unseen, hated, and so on. But guess what? Those aren't fucking emotions. They're situations we've been in that come with certain historical emotions for many of us. So our brains think that by describing the projected situation, others will be able to imagine all the feelings that we're having without us actually naming the feelings. It's sort of a way to dodge responsibility and hope that the other party just gets it without us doing the legwork of being immersed in those negative emotions, right? Um, another way that this is pretty super uncool is realizing that using these not real emotions are kind of leaving us helpless. They are assumptions about how others are treating or feeling about us. And then there's nothing we can do because we can't change how others feel or act, right? So it's a losing game that's all made up in our heads when we claim to know how others think or feel about us as being facts. All we actually do know as facts are the emotions that we ourselves are generating from inside of us. So again, when we say that others cause those emotions, we put ourselves in the same helpless corner, saying that others are in control of us 
there's nothing we can do. We are just fucked. So we have to name specifically and own those feelings as ours, fuckers. And we're actually still nowhere done with step two because the language with which we do it is crucial in order to avoid setting off the self-defensive instincts of others as we accidentally project onto them. So again, there's a lot of detail going into this step as far as the proper wording to utilize. The neuro-linguistic discussion gets pretty deep. But let me just give you one extra tidbit to chew on here. We actually never need to say the words, I feel before an emotion. In the English language, we can simply say, I am, as in, I am sad, I am disgruntled, I am exasperated. Saying, I feel, nonviolent communication informs us, actually turns our emotions into opinions. And we're here saying your emotions are not opinions. They are facts about your inner world that only you know the truth of. Interesting, huh? If you're like me, you'll be thinking about that for like the next two months. And noticing how often you say, I feel, for no fucking reason other than to soften your words for the sake of others by making them into opinions that allows other people to disagree with them if they'd prefer to. Anyways, step two, name your emotions and own them as facts about inside of you by saying, I am precise emotion. Be clear, be specific, and don't mistake your interpretations of others' behaviors as feelings. Any of those missteps puts your brain into helplessness territory and your conversational partner into their defensive tower. And then we get to the real meat of this whole process and the part that probably has the most CPTSD recovery implications in my view, though it's a pretty close race. Step three. Figure out the underlying unmet need. Y'all right, fuckers. This is where we really start to gain some traction in the process. And things get interesting. Nonviolent communication says, we don't just evaluate something shittily. We do it because we have negative emotions inside of us. And we don't just have negative emotions inside of us for go no goddamn reason. We have those unwanted feelings because we have, here we go, unmet needs. So in what ways are you feeling unfulfilled? How are you deprived? What parts of your biology are not being supported? And this is where things get a bit bonkers because it turns out that we have like 20 times more needs as human beings than I ever recognized. So let me give you this partial list of psychologically defined needs that without fulfillment, fuck with our biology and psyche. And again, this is a partial list from nonviolent communication. If you Google this, you will find additional needs beyond even these ones. Here we go. Connection, acceptance, affection, clarity,
communication, confirmation, compassion, intimacy, understanding, authenticity, love, autonomy, choice, space, spontaneity, peace, beauty, ease, harmony, order, wholeness, interconnection, belonging, consideration, community, cooperation, dignity, mutuality, support, trust, meaning, contribution, creativity, hope, inspiration, purpose, celebration, joy, mourning, play, competence, effectiveness, efficiency, growth, learning, and power, honesty, authenticity, integrity. And then we get to basic survival. Shelter, food and water, rest, safety, security, and touch. Now, just saying, in my world, I have only ever recognized some of the basic survival needs. Essentially, the need for food-ish items, semi-potable water, and some sort of structure around me. Maybe also the internet so that I can be an effective person via working so that I can pay for those three survival needs. But if you really think about the times that you've been the shittiest, everything around you has seemed annoying, agitating, unfair, bullshitty, etc. How fulfilled were you feeling? How many needs that I just listed were actually being met in your life? And how many aspects of your life were being put on the back burner so that you could just white knuckle your way to survival? I would bet that you wouldn't describe the experience leading up to that depressive spell with any of the words that I just listed above. I'd have to assume that you were depriving most of your human needs. So maybe there is some connection between these very lofty ideals our emotional regulation, and our assessments of the world, huh? Huh. Yeah, my penchant for need deprivation and its connection to my misery has been something I have reflected on very thoroughly as we've talked about nonviolent communication. And we'll talk about that a whole lot more next time. So, when you separate your observations from your evaluations and you realize you're being a shithead, Step one, you then dive into the emotions behind your ass hattery. Step two, and claim them as emanating from inside of you. Then you ask, why am I experiencing these bad feels? And Google a list of human needs to seek out your answer. Step three, comparing your world and level of self-care to what the experts say that homo sapiens need you ask yourself, what's missing? Where are you feeling deprived? What parts of you are feeling unsatiated? And that will lead you to understanding what's really driving the feeling and make it clear what you need to do next in order to help yourself. So at this point, as far as practical communication goes, what we have is a template for stringing together your emotions, step two, with your needs, step three, and taking ownership of them both. 
And here's the perfect formula for expressing all of that effectively so far. We say, I am precise emotion because I description of need that is not being fulfilled. Pretty simple, right? Step one, pull your assessments out of your observations. Step two, get real about your feels and where they emanate from, which is you. Step three, figure out what part of you is feeling deprived and name it as something you need to address. I am precise emotion because I description of need that is not being fulfilled. And now we get to step four, what to fucking do about any of it. Our fourth and final step, we make a request. My fuckers, this section is the easiest of the nonviolent communication process, and yet maybe the hardest for us to execute if we have nothing but interpersonal trauma in our pockets. Because this is the part where we go to our relational partner and ask them for help to meet our needs with specific actions that they could take. And that's hard enough, right? If people ask me, what can I do to help you feel better? It's not like I have any responses at all. Like, I generally don't fucking know. Don't give me additional work to do is a lot easier for me to say than finding detailed instructional actions they could take. But we can't make a request unless we can tackle this part, unless we can figure out what behaviors would help us to meet our needs and find the courage to express it to someone else that we could use a little help. But it gets even harder because this is also the part where we absolutely do not try to control or force our relationship buddy into doing a single goddamn thing. And that's where I think we struggle because all our prior experiences in life have probably taught us that humans are controllable via other people forcing, manipulating, punishing, and coercing us in the past. So, we do have to be mindful of that programming and realize that we can only make a suggestion in the form of a question to our partner about how they could help us. Meaning, it's optional. They can say no, and we will accept their declination gracefully without additional words spewing from our mouths to try to convince them otherwise without stonewalling them if they say no, without ultimatums or threats for how you won't meet their needs if they don't meet yours. Altogether, we have to make an actionable request without any punishment in the aftermath of their answer. In fact, this framework says that it behooves us to express empathy in case they cannot help us out to demonstrate that it is optional and we care about them either way. We need to communicate that our request is not a do or die situation. It will not permanently mar the relationship or spawn thoughts of retribution. It is their choice to opt in or opt out. And we can demonstrate that we will empathetically understand either way because we also care about them their contentment, and their needs. 
We're not here to communicate abuse more effectively. We're aiming at forming a positive relationship, which requires that both parties feel seen, heard, appreciated, and supported. And we need to make sure that we're communicating an action that they can take rather than an action that they better fucking stop. (laughs) In other words, telling them what not to do is not helpful. Requesting what they can do actually provides a path forward for everyone. So to be effective, we provide instructions for new behaviors, not demands to halt a previous behavior without a replacement behavior being offered. So that's it. That is step four. Make a request, but do it empathetically so that they know that they are allowed to say no because it is not a demand. So, altogether, our nonviolent communication process might look like this. When you didn't come over last night, observation from step one, I was disappointed, emotion from step two, because I am lonely and need some human connection, unmet need from step three, Do you think you can come over this weekend? Request from step four. If not, no worries. I know you have a lot on your plate right now with that big work presentation coming up. Empathetic expression of understanding that they are also a whole human being with needs and we still love them either way as part of step four. So do you think that it would be possible for you? And um, I mean, That's about it, fuckers. Uh, Well, actually, it's not. We sincerely have gone into so, so, so many more details in the five hour-long episodes coming out this month and the two bonuses on nonviolent communication. You can find them, as always, over on that Patreon, patreon.com slash traumatizedmotherfuckers, now neatly organized in the nonviolent communication collection, where you can also find about like eight videos from me and my whiteboard this month. It has really been a busy one. But that's what you need to know for now to get started with nonviolent, effective communication. Number one, separate what you see from what you evaluate. Number two, be specific and accountable for your feelings. Number three, figure out how you've been feeling deprived using a list of human needs. Step four, request help from your partner without disregarding or controlling them. And next time, when we meet here again, we'll talk about how this whole nonviolent communication thing is actually a very detailed blueprint for undoing the damage that our brains have accrued from lifetimes of trauma so far, including the phrase, depression is the reward we get for being good children. I just got chills and I've been writing about that for weeks now. All right, I'll see you here for that talk in a few more weeks, motherfuckers. And until then, hail your self with a capital S the crossover between IFS and nonviolent communication that we're talking about in a bonus episode this month. 
hail your ability to communicate in a way that doesn't lead to a throwing of hands or bows, but actually assists you in meeting your needs mutually with another individual, thus improving your relationship from both ends. Hail Archie, king of the brain rewiring. And that's it. Thanks for letting me have this super long episode with ya. And cheers, y'all. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.